Good evening, everybody. We're coming at you from the Friendship Preschool Playground. playground. <laughs> they the paid playground. for the naming yeah. rights yes, to right. our, our study here. Uh, uh, live with our studio so. audience of zero. Which is totally okay. Totally okay. It's but if experiment. you would like to be part of the uh, studio audience next week, you can join us at, at 5 o'clock out here on the the playgrounds and uh, we'd love to incorporate your your thoughts and questions into yep. um, our discussion so you are invited five o'clock next week we'll be back here so yeah there we go we're doing acts we're doing acts we, uh, we started last week so this is week number two of um, acts the founding and future of of the church uh, you want to give us a quick recap of yeah. Last week and also just the series as a whole. Yep. Last week we did introduction stuff, but we talked primarily, if you remember, about we're, we chose Acts because it's this new time in for the Jesus followers, for his disciples, and what we call the church. They weren't necessarily that then by name, but they were. So we started there, and this is a time for us when we're in a new space and a new place and new things are happening and we get to watch the story of the Holy Spirit so we talked just real quickly last time about my Bible titles this book the Acts of the Apostles but mm -hmm. we could just as easily call it the Acts of the Holy Spirit and it's both yeah. in reality so we went through 1 through 11 last week talking about uh, Jesus ascension up into heaven and we ended that story with the disciples standing there looking up in heaven and two angels having to pull their eyes back down what are you doing yeah why are you guys looking up there jesus is going to come back again which we ended with our gaze looking out into the world into the community or at least away from what was towards whatever the holy spirit's going to be doing and i think it's important to mention and remember that jesus told them to go back to jerusalem and mm -hmm. wait for the Father's promised gift of the Holy Spirit, and that's where we ended. So yeah. we're there now today, and um, that's where we're going to start with this waiting. They're, they're waiting, and what happens? Um, so we're going to be be starting in Acts chapter one, starting with verse chapter twelve, with verse twelve. Uh, but before we jump in, will you start us with a prayer? Pastor? Yeah, we will pray. Uh, Lord, we gather around your uh, holy name tonight, Jesus, to. To study, to learn, to open our hearts to whatever you would have us uh, know and learn today. And we trust that you'll bring bring things to our attention that we can talk about and learn from and that will uh, grow us in faith. So bless us this night, Lord. Amen. Amen. Alright, so uh, again, if you're reading along with us, you can turn your Bible to Acts chapter 1, verse 12. And... Uh, as Pastor Chris said, the way we go. Yep, the Jesus has ascended after telling them that the Holy Spirit, this gift, is going to be sent to them. Uh, there's 50 days or so between the between Easter and uh, or Passover and uh, the Pentecost celebration that's coming, and we're somewhere in that waiting period of 50 days. And uh, yeah, so this is the disciples, starting at verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. <coughs> P 
Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas son of James. All these were constantly devoting themselves to prayer, together with certain women, including Mary the mother of Jesus, as well as his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers. Together the crowd numbered about 120 persons and said, Friends, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit through David foretold concerning Judas, who became a guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his bowels gushed out. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem, so that the field was called in their language Hakodama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his homestead become desolate, and let there be no one to live in it, and let another take his position of overseer. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they proposed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice and Matthias. Then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, and he was added to the eleven apostles. Well, I could have maybe gone yeah. without the burst, <laughs> the, the guts bursting piece bursting of, of Judas there. Yeah. Um, but apart from uh, maybe that piece, which, uh, you know, what sticks out to you? You know, what do you want to talk about within here? I am always amazed at things that I notice and just pay attention to every time I read Scripture differently. Just, I don't want to talk about it too much, but as you read Scripture, you get to learn so much. Like, the Mount Olivet is a Sabbath day's journey away. Well, mm -hmm. what does that mean? Mm -hmm. They had special restrictions as far as how far people could travel on the Sabbath which didn't make it work and so you could travel a certain distance and not mm -hmm. and i just i hadn't really remembered that but and i think it's like is it like half a day's journey yeah it's more or less yeah like four hours or something like that okay and it's i don't quite remember exactly but the Having point been is there mount all of it and the temple are not terribly not far apart yeah i mean they're they're not like right next door to each other but it's also not terribly far apart yeah anyway just when you think about that but that brings up the wider point of what's going on here is this whole part of the story is steeped in 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 Jewish history and faith and religion and, and trying to make things right according yeah. to God's law, God's kingdom, God's God's way of working in the world. And so you get to this place by the end where there's now not enough disciples. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and when you remember Well, and Jesus, why is it not enough? Well, that's not enough because if you remember Jesus had 12 disciples and 12 disciples were the 12 tribes of Israel. And right. so that's the important piece there is that 12 tribes of Israel was Jesus ministry was entering into that same story that God had and since God had 12 tribes, we see these 12 disciples and that's how it goes forward. Mm -hmm. It's all 
it's connected that way. Yeah. And the connection is important. Uh, I mean, it's interesting to me, I think, and really this isn't a new development. It's from pretty early on in the church, there was this instinct to divide the New and the Old Testaments, like to the point these were you know, yeah. considered heresies, but uh, that they were even considered separate gods. Some people were so uncomfortable with you know, sort of the, the seeming dissonance there between the New and the Old Testament. And I think that there's always been that temptation. I think sometimes we feel it, but for Luke, the author of the book of Acts, and um, for the disciples at this point, like insisting on that connection. I mean, and this is in so many of the books, like this is across the New Testament. Like yeah. that connection was so important. They're arguing for it. It's like right. there, there's no effort to distance. It's the exact opposite. Super important that we recognize that these 12 apostles connected with the 12 tribes, you know, connected with the God who calls both of them. Yes. And we remember as that, or, or you should remember as, as lay people studying scripture that these disciples didn't have the New Testament. Right. They, they were just dealing with the Old Testament. That's all they knew. Yeah. That was their frame of reference. All their knowledge about God, everything that they had was coming from Jesus as a fulfillment of everything in the Old Testament. Yeah. When they say the scripture had to be fulfilled, they're not referring to Romans. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, which so is why you've got, are. you know, you've got Peter quoting Psalms in, in here right. as this, the scripture must be, be fulfilled. And that's how they understood, you know, God operating in the world. Yeah. Right. That the scriptures were there to be fulfilled and needed to be fulfilled. Yes. Yeah. So apart from, so fine, they're, they're repeating or they're, establishing this Old Testament tradition that God mm -hmm. had given them. Mm -hmm. What do you make of how they established that tradition? The the process? The process, yeah. What do you make of the process? Well, <laughs> it's certainly notice interesting. The process. Notice the process. Well, let's let's start <coughs> with uh, the, the logical piece that they go through, right? So this is the... Um, Verse 21 is what I'm, I'm looking at. So Peter says, let another take his position of overseer, quoting the Psalms. So 21. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us. One of these must become a witness with us to his resurrection. So they established some criteria. There's, there's a criteria. I mean, and it, it makes sense, right? They're, yeah. they're talking about witnessing to the life of Jesus. And so... They need a witness who, who was there, who, who saw it all. They're going out to tell this story of Jesus' life from baptism to, to resurrection. Yeah. And, and so I mean, that narrows down a lot of people, right? I mean, there were people that gathered around Jesus over the course of his ministry, and he accumulated you know, a lot. But if you go all the way back to the baptism, that's a pretty narrow you know, body of people. Yeah, you know what just struck me when you said that? Like, it narrows it down. There's actually... They go back to Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. And they constantly devote themselves to prayer. Mm -hmm. So they're praying, but there's 150 of them. 120. Or 120, yeah. okay, 120. Yeah. But when they when they add the criteria, uh -huh. then there's only two. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so interesting. One, I should have noted, I think that if we're talking about the decision-making process, yeah. the constantly devoting themselves to prayer is an important part Meaningful, of that. Meaningful, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, that. This is those are the, sort of the foundational, constantly devoting themselves to, to prayer. And I would say the other thing that I lift up from that kind of beginning piece um, is the 
Where does it say that? They're, they were all staying. I mean, they're together all together. Room, yeah. They're all together. It's the togetherness, this community. They note these different groups of people, um, including women, right. which was a little unusual for the time. I think that Luke's including that to make a certain statement yeah, yeah. about the community being inclusive and everyone being part of this process of discerning and um, you know living out this, this mission to be apostles to the nation. Um, but yeah, they're together and they're in prayer. And then we start getting these criterion of, you know, witnessing, which the other interesting thing is I'm just thinking about it now was if we're listening to the gospel narratives themselves, including Luke, you, you know, some of the 12 are called after the, the baptism. Right. So, which leads me to wonder, like, were they actually there from baptism to uh, yeah. resurrection? Or is that sort of more of a symbolic thing of, encompassing all of Jesus's ministry. That's what they're, they're witnessing to. Yeah. And what's important is we need people that can speak to the whole of Jesus ministry. That's what sticks out to me, regardless of how the historical fact works out. We yeah. talked about that last week. They want people that know what they're talking about regarding their personal experience of Jesus ministry. Yeah. And From I, I'm beginning to, end. and I think the baptism pieces may be significant, particularly within the context of the book of acts, because at the baptism, the Holy spirit descends. Yeah. And so the Holy Spirit is so central to the book of Acts. We just heard about it from the beginning that Jesus is going to send that spirit. And it's that baptism that, that makes that's yeah, there right, right. where the spirit descends. The same connection is being made. So I'm inclined to think that that's part of what Luke is trying to, sure. to emphasize, yeah. that the witness needs to be able to speak to, to Jesus and the presence of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' ministry. Because yeah. that's going to be part of right. the ongoing yep. ministry. And Acts is filled with all those uh, central things to our faith. Yeah. Baptism, and the meal, and all that stuff. We right. to find out kind of how that's playing out in real life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so, so they're... They've narrowed it down to two. Yeah, and that right? all sounds pretty good. Yeah, yeah you, you go through all of that, you know, we, we've considered job qualifications. Right. Yep. You know, this you're is what it is. Experience. We need people. If you're going to be a witness, you got to have witnessed some stuff. You know, we need you to speak, speak to it. All right, we've got two good candidates. So now what do they do? They cast lots. Roll some dice. <laughs> they play a game. They play. <laughs> I need to draw a card, you know, roll a dice. That, that, I mean, that's what casting of lots right. is. I mean, it's, it's chance is one way of looking at it. Right. But that's probably not how they would have looked at it. Right? And that's what fascinates me about it. It's, it's Lord, we've taken this process as far as we can go. Mm -hmm. We don't know the heart of this man or this man, but you do. Mm -hmm. So in radical faith, I, I just like to call this radical faith. Yeah. Like how how foreign to us to make decisions like that. Yeah. To roll to roll some dice. We were using the odds evens thing. Yeah. I know the Old Testament has the Umen and Thumen, which were mm -hmm. two different colored stones that they drew picked out of a bag, and that's so they made some decisions like that. Yeah. And just that radical, like we trust you, God. Whoever comes up is the guy. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and how they just let go of that control. Yeah. Which. I mean, it, it seems crazy to me, like, you know, imagining, well, we're going to call a pastor. We got three names here. Right. <laughs> Roll the dice. Uh, I'm not, not necessarily convinced. Um, 
But the interesting thing for, for me is like, what is the underlying faith there? What are the beliefs underneath um, that conviction, that willingness, that radical faith to use your, your language yeah. um, about about humans, about about God, and the way that God works in the world, and and how does that maybe compare to some of the things that, that we believe in the way that we operate? Which is also to say, how does the way that we operate speak to our beliefs our, our about value, how God yeah. is in the world? Right, yeah. our values too. Yeah. So what I mean, what, what do you think that says about their beliefs in God's way of working? In the world? <laughs> I mean. You said it's radical. Right? I said it, yeah, and as I use that word, that's such a loaded word now. And any when we say radical anything, it's automatically negative, right? In context today, I think. And yet, when you think of how they are acting, they're they're believing and assuming that God's not only involved in everything, mm-hmm. but um, sovereign, in charge, mm-hmm. in control. God yeah. is a part of everything, mm-hmm. and this whole chance thing I, I think it's amazing that they utilize this this process of they feel like they can engage and try to decide and try to make some criteria but mm-hmm. then at the end of the day they, they do turn it over to God too yeah it's all interconnected right and as we move forward in acts we're gonna see that decisions that they make are constantly being changed mm-hmm. beliefs that they have are constantly being challenged and Really, at the end of the day, they are open to trying to, and we've been using this word, discern God's will mm-hmm. in anything, and they change their mind even though it goes, it flies in the face of everything they believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> As they figure out what mm-hmm. God wants them to do and what the Holy Spirit's doing, and in this case, they're they're choosing, whatever the the sky. Right. And and I was thinking about it because I mean it really does feel fairly absurd to me but i've processed it a little bit okay. and um you know wondered if maybe it's not quite as crazy as you know as as it seems um particularly because you know you think they went through a process to narrow it down to two and i feel like even in the church today you know we we go through our processes and so on and consider all of the the facts and the needs and um i mean and oftentimes i think we do come to to places where it's like we've got We've got two or three good options yeah. here. And at, at that point, I, I mean, how do we make the decisions? And is it really any less arbitrary in, yeah. in some cases than, than, you know, rolling a dice? Um, so you know. open the church public worship. <laughs> Heads. Not open the church. Well, I yeah. mean, no. I mean, I think I think there, there are clearly some decisions uh, that you know, maybe this applies to, to better. And if, if we look at the text it, itself, um, you know, this is applied to people and, you know, the underlying thing and what they pray is, then they prayed and said, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it seems like that's different from a, you know, a church opening Right. Lord, tell us what's it's to different do. than a policy decision. <laughs> it's different than you know a, a theology yeah. decision. You know, it's there's this limitations to I mean any relationship, but God isn't limited by those in terms of yeah. knowing people's people's hearts, the unknown things, the things that we can hide from everyone else. God, God knows. Um, and you know, so if we're talking about making decisions, particularly in regards to to people, maybe maybe that's where it is. You know, yeah. we look out and we say, gosh. <clears throat> 
any of these people could do a fantastic right. job, as best as we can tell. Yeah. You know? So what's the heart? So Pastor Eric and I were actually trying to figure out before this any other times we've been able to find in Scripture where they've used something like this. Uh -huh. We can only narrow it down to people. Yeah. Jonah and then Yeah, this, you think of this, like the story of Jonah. Yeah. Jonah's on he's on the boat, he's so. he's ran away from God. The people on the boats are, you know, what's going on? They're assuming that someone has made God angry. They cast lots, the lot falls on Jonah. <laughs> Jonah gets thrown overboard. Like, yeah. It's people. I mean, and it's that same idea of God knowing people's hearts. Yeah, um, and we're gonna see, I think, through the rest of Acts as we read that whenever there is some sort of change to people's beliefs in relationship to God, some sort of change in their practice uh -huh. of worship or baptism. I mean, it plays out specifically in baptism and who receives the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> who's clean and unclean. God directly intervenes somehow. Mm -hmm. The Holy Spirit directly intervenes somehow, but always in, in terms of how the decision affects community. Mm -hmm. And people coming together around around Jesus. So, and I think that's something we will be able to. We'll come back to that later. Mm -hmm. But for now, there's this this kind of shocking, like they cast lots to the side. Right. And right. what is how does that influence us as people? And as we think about God's um, reign over us, uh -huh. God's kingdom present in our lives. And I'm not sure there's any answer. Yeah. But I think it calls us to think through what does it mean well and i think it calls us to maybe think about our own way of yeah. of making decisions i mean how do you see decisions being made in the church and what does that say about kind of our convictions about the way that god operates right. in the world yeah and our decisions are made in the church democratically we vote yeah, right. Yeah, I know. It's constitutional. I mean, it, it, it's true. It's it is vote. constitutional. We vote and we have right. rules. We vote. If this many people vote, you, this happens. Uh-huh. Well, that doesn't necessarily, I mean, that doesn't, the, the majority, the majority rule doesn't necessarily make something right. Right. Doesn't necessarily make it wrong either, but right. it's just, that's how we value things. Yeah. I mean, it seems like actually that principle of democratic voting isn't isn't so much coming from the Bible as it is the the context that we live in and the democratic principles of this country. Maybe, yeah. And I mean, I there's there's certainly egalitarian values right, within sure. the Bible where we value all the voices. That's not totally foreign. Um, but you know, the way that it gets practiced. I mean, heck, we call it a church constitution. Right. <laughs> you know, it seems yeah. it seems like you know we're we're pointing back more towards sort of our, our policies and that we're political. Um, and we're not, and that's not to say we don't need that kind of governing thing. That's not at all what I think this means either. Uh -huh. I mean, for for you listening, it, it does just beg the question. Yeah. When we do, when we engage in that process, it is our assumption there that the majority is discerning God's rule, mm -hmm. and the rest of the people are wrong. Right. Well, I mean, that <laughs> would seem to be... that's kind of how we operate, and I'm yeah. not sure that's actually fair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that, that That's actually fair. I don't think it has anything to do with us not acting in good faith. Uh-huh. It's just we do things differently, and that's the thing I think yeah. that as, as we prepared for this, that it's just kind of should open our eyes yeah. and go, what are we doing? Really? Yeah, it, it seems to me like the... <laughs> that's interesting. Thinking about our own practices, the theology that undergirds them is 
this this idea and meaning I'll, I'll use the language of the spirit that that the spirit will work through the gathered people through the individuals that the spirit is is within yeah um, through the gift of baptism like to to come to this communal decision on through a democratic process that right. the democratic process is itself a spiritual process because of the presence of the spirit yeah. in it um, and so in some ways you know if I'm comparing the two I would say that that our process has a higher view I'm not convinced of the higher language of the way that God works and speaks through human beings mm -hmm. yeah. whereas the, you know, in this practice of casting lots, they kind of say, well, we're at our wit's end. We can't go any further. Roll the dice. You know, and, and that's a different view of, of human human nature. And in relation to God, it's a different view of the way that, that God works through, through yeah. humans. Um, I don't know if it's right or wrong. I mean, I think, like, if we're looking at the text itself... I mean, is is this the presence of this here an endorsement of this as a practice? Yeah. Like, if it is, we should probably start casting lots. Right. But is is that necessarily what this is? At least we'll determine the preaching schedule from this point forward. <laughs> we hey, did we did me. jokingly talk about we're going to decide who prays at the beginning by casting yes, lots. All of it. Yes, that's that is an interesting point, though, Pastor Eric. And for us to think about too is just because something's present doesn't necessarily in, in scripture we mean a story doesn't necessarily mean that that's what we should do right or that's what we shouldn't do it's yeah. not necessarily about that all the time yeah and so we we it, talked about last week sort of acts as a historical book and we talked a little bit about how the ancient understanding of history yeah. was was different than we would operate with so like the the understanding was not that this would be entirely factual when, right Luke is acting as a historian. Um, but insofar as we do understand that this to be, is a historical narrative, it's not necessarily saying that all of this was as it should be and as you should do. Right. Um, you know, it may very well be just documenting this, this, what this is did. what they did. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and we they were the there at the it, beginning. Yeah. This is the first thing that they do after Jesus has ascended and left them. This is before the Holy Spirit has. Right. come to them like they're in this in-between space this is this is what they did they is it what it. we should be doing or is this yeah. just what they did and maybe they got it wrong yeah we it's they're doing the best they can yeah they're making their way through trusting that god will intervene when god needs to otherwise they're they're doing their thing and they're waiting for the holy spirit and then i mean that's what comes directly yeah. after this yeah they they replace the disciples they're they're back to the full full 12 yeah and they're gonna go forward and then we get um, the Holy Spirit coming finally yeah. while they're, they're uh, waiting well and interesting just in the way that this thing plays out it's you know if, if suddenly Matthias went on to be this great yeah. apostle that you know was just preaching all over the place right. maybe you could look at this and say yeah they definitely got it right but that's not what happens <laughs> We Not never hear from Matthias again. Right, he's gone. Just done. Just done. So, I don't know. Maybe they got it right. Maybe they didn't. They were certainly doing the the best that they can in, in any yep. case. Um, Matthias was probably just as shocked. Yeah. He didn't probably ask for this. Joe's like, it's you, man. He's like, ah. Oh. Right. You wonder what the two, those two guys sitting there are, are thinking. I was like, 
do I do they do they want the dice to fall on them or maybe not so much? <laughs> like, this seems like a questionable gig. Jesus said a lot of stuff about persecution. I'm not sure I want to be elevated yeah. to apostle status. <laughs> you know, and for many of the apostles, it didn't turn out great. At right, least yeah. in terms of you know living long, right, happy lives. Terrified the guy is. Yeah. So okay, so now now the, now they're dedicating themselves to prayer. They have the twelve. They do that whole thing. Luke immediately moves or acts immediately moves to this coming of the Holy Spirit yeah and I don't know if we do if we want to get into that today we can move through that piece and at least let's engage the story we're, we're gonna spend um, you know at least next week on that piece because you know Peter's gonna continue with a big speech but let us at least get into it okay okay so um, so let's let's read it and see how it ends and then we can sure so this is starting at chapter chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each one of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others sneered and said, they're filled with new wine. There you go. I'm not going to, you handled those big words very well. <laughs> Sometimes it's just about pushing, pushing through with confidence. Uh, not even a stutter. That was don't, great. don't ask me to uh, <laughs> say them exactly the same the next time. Perfect. Perfect. So there it is. That's the, the gift that Jesus promised um, when he ascended. Um, talks about it at the end of the Luke, beginning of Acts. The Holy Spirit comes. All right, we're we're going to talk about this more next next we're week. Gonna, but what do you want to what do you want to lift gonna, up today? We're going to delve into this. This is the depth of our conversation next week. But I, I think where we have to start is the end of this section. And what does this mean? It, it's it's not like these people had put everything together about Jesus. Mm. They, they they have no idea what's coming next. Mm -hmm. Some guy just rose from the dead. Death's been defeated. Those are, that's all words we use. Yeah, they don't even know yeah. what that meant. Right. They're still wondering if this really happened. Right. So what does this mean? And now all these people are doing this miraculous thing, but it's connected to the experience, the wind and the fire and, and the languages is is connected to the pe what they're saying. Mm -hmm. It's not just that they're saying something. Yeah. It's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. They're saying and talking about God's deeds of power. Yeah. 
and everyone's going, what does this mean? Mm -hmm. They don't know. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's a hard space for us to be in as church. Right. We've got we feel like we've centuries known, of yeah. tradition um, yeah. and teaching and for many of us a lifetime growing up in the church surrounded by these stories. Where we've always felt like we knew what it yeah. meant and yeah. how it was going to be acted out in our lives. Right. And now we see that the new church started there. What does it mean? They figured it out. And the rest of Acts is the is showing us what this means. Mm -hmm. And in the same light, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure maybe that's a question we should be asking more often. What does this mean? <laughs> what does this mean? Yeah. M more than just assuming that. That's we a know. pretty broad question. It is can a big you, can question. You say, yeah. Can you say maybe? You know, do you mean it any more specific than that? Do you, do you want? We, we've sort of been talking about, um, you know, discerning questions. Yeah. Um, as we look at both as the founding of the church, but also the future of the, the church. Um, and here's this question right here. One that I think I agree with you. I think yeah. that we can, we can and should be, be asking that and that it will bear fruit in the way forward. Um, but do you want to, can you expound upon if, how you interpret that question? What does this mean? I think, I think contextually in any given time or situation, we can look at it and go, what does this mean? So you would, you could look at our decision-making process as a church and mm -hmm. say, what does this mean? Yeah. What, what, what does this mean that we do things this way? Mm -hmm. And if anything, it'll help us get at some underlying values. Yeah. Um, what does this mean that, um, that we're feeling afraid? Yeah. What does this mean that we're feeling that um, unsure about the future or what does this mean that we don't want to let this particular thing go yeah what does this mean that we want to add this new thing what, what does this mean mm -hmm. and and i think w within that answer as we listen and watch that's where the holy spirit's moving yeah what does this mean that now we're doing all this digital and electronic stuff yeah it's an important question right because it takes a lot of time and energy and staff and yeah. planning to make stuff like this happen yeah. well right you can remember how unwell we did it at first, right? <laughs> I try not to. <laughs> I but, do too. Uh, it's a nightmare. <laughs> but now, now here we are, right? But what does it mean now? Yeah. Because it changed. And I because and, the meaning should drive us forward. I mean, yeah. if, if we don't have a good answer to to that question, if the what does it mean for like doing digital stuff is, well, it it means that we have to do it for this time because we can't be together. If that's all we got, then it's not something that we should probably keep doing. Right. <laughs> Right, but so, if we if we think that there's more substantive meaning there, then then yeah, um, I I think one of the things about the question um, I mean, it's, is simply the humility of asking it, yeah, and stepping back from what I think our tendency is to assume that we know what everything means, um, you know that we. You know, and, and to just be open to new and, and different possibilities for what things mean. Because I think that the other thing about, um, you know, certain meaning is meaning changes. Yeah. Like something that was done 30 years ago that can mean something very different today. And so even for things that maybe have been constant, we can ask that question over again. You know, what does this mean now? And the answer may not be the same of what it meant 
when we got started with it, right. you know, whatever it was, whenever it started. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot to that question yeah. that could, you know, potentially come out of it. So, so, so you you think about it deeper. How how you in your own faith life would be asking, what does this mean? What does this mean? Um, my my overarching personal experience of Acts is, what does this mean? A surprise. A surprise is coming. They're constantly being surprised uh-huh. by the work of the Spirit, and they're in, in intimately involved in it. Mm-hmm. So that's all I got. Yeah. I, I mean, in, yeah. It, to that end, it was part of it. Like, is there just a lesson there in terms of stepping out in faith without fully understanding the meaning? <laughs> yeah. Right. Because that's kind of what they're asked to do. I mean, we're going to go on, and and Peter gives some understanding of the meaning, or Luke, the author, is giving some understanding of, of the meaning of it, which would maybe be a little more retrospect. But um, certainly, to some extent or another, the apostles are stepping out, not fully understanding what, what this right. all means. And they're acting and trusting and figuring yeah. it out. And, and we, I, ha- we hate that. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. I mean, we there's, so little, there's so little control, yeah. you know, in, in not really understanding okay. or knowing the meaning. Um, for me, I, I guess, if I'm thinking about discerning questions... Um, and what lifts up from yeah. this this text, uh, you know, is is how do we discern these questions together? Hmm. Yeah. Where it's not just what does this mean to me, you know, what what does this mean for us, and how do we ask that question as a as a community, um, and and ask it in a way that like, or maybe it's answering in a way that isn't simply all of us with our own individual answers to the question, what does this mean to me, voting and throwing it together. How do we actually go through a process wherein we enter into it unknowing, um, but we come out of it with a communal knowing um, and understanding because we've gone through this process of asking, what does this mean together? How do we do it together? Yeah. How do we move forward together? That's, that's the question that, that, that part of the the text where they're they're casting lots, whether it was right or wrong, raises for for me. How okay. do we do this together? Well, what do you got? Well, no. What I like about that is it, or, or your response is it, it pulls us back into the text and helps us see the story in a in just a visual way. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, and so immediately the Holy Spirit comes, and you have this. I mean, notice the diverse group first of all. There's yeah. all these people. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, just the presence that it comes there, they all start talking to one another. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? And, and immediately you can see community starting to form yeah. there. And I wonder if that's not, I've never noticed that before in that mm-hmm. sense. They're not thinking, Luke doesn't say, they started thinking to themselves, what does this mean? They start yeah. asking one another, hey, what does this mean? Right. Hey, what do you think this means? What does this mean? And it's just, you can hear the rumbling there. I'm just thinking that that is a really interesting way, and I'm just thinking about like the open-ended question in some way draws us together. Yeah. In a way that if I assume that I I know what it means, you have your own idea of what it means. Suddenly, we're that that can oftentimes push us apart, right? I know what it means, and you're wrong. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of how we operate. (laughs) Occasionally. No. Occasionally. Never. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. Never. Never. <laughs> I that's a that's a great place to stop. I think. What, yeah, I think. What that's does this brilliant. mean? What does this mean? And we do it together. Yeah, and we'll continue next week as, you know, Peter slash Luke uh, 
gives some answer to the meaning of the Pentecost event. Um, the first sermon after Jesus dies. The first sermon after Jesus dies. Um, you know, so we're to be continued, okay. um, I guess. But I think as a question, it's a good big one for us to sit with and to carry forward. Because it's nice. Right, so we hope that you will be back to continue that yeah. conversation. Pray um, let's pray. Gracious God, help us to sit in the under uncertainty, trusting both your promise and your presence, that you have promised to be with us, that your spirit is with us even now, and that you will be with us as we, we go forward, even as we don't fully know or understand what that will look like. Um, whether it's for us as a church or for everyone who's listening here in their own individual lives, um, help us to trust that you are with us now and that you um, are leading us forward um, this week and always. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So thank you so much for joining us. We'll invite you Bye. again. If you want to come out 5 o'clock next week, you can be part of this live recording and the first member of our studio audience right. here. Uh, but otherwise, um, we hope that you uh, have a wonderful week and uh, we'll continue this conversation next week. Have a good night.